Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. In that regard, we're going to talk today about building a business without a framework, and we'll do that with our guest, Vijal Mathern. Now, Vijal is the founder of Speed Zone Performance. He's a business owner, entrepreneur, who's been doing business for 25 plus years. He enjoys finding solutions for his teams to ensure that they're building great customer relationships while educating, elevating his staff to find new ways to succeed with customers and at the same time growing as individuals. He's got a drive to succeed and those around him to grow them through hard work and building successful relationships. We're happy to have him today to share his wisdom with our listeners. Thanks a lot for being here, sir. Thanks for having me, Bill. I really appreciate it. So Speed Zone, who do you guys serve? Speed Zone Performance, we have a large demographic. We serve individuals all the way from 16. Our primary demographic is from 16 years old all the way up to individuals that are 65, 70 years old. Um, I have both the young and old in my business, and we cater to them all without objection. Anybody that's a car lover, anybody that likes anything having to do with any kind of modification or upgrade, or even just basic replacement parts at times. These people have a problem, uh, or problems, I suppose, that you've been able to identify and help them solve. So what are the key problems besides replacement parts that that people have? Or is it all out of, I need this versus want it? Yeah, so that's a good question. A lot of people ask me that. The the It's hard to define how many people come to me that want something versus need something. I would say that a larger majority of my customer base wants something. We satisfy a specific need. And that's people that are looking to upgrade or modify. In today's world, you can buy any type of vehicle pretty much off the lot. And it looks great, but most people, when they buy a vehicle these days, they want an option or they want something or they want something to change it and make it look individual. That's what we all strive for as humans. Anyway, to make something different. And so that's really the premise of my business to, to amplify the solutions for those things, to, to allow people to get a different set of wheels, maybe lower their vehicle, maybe upgrade the performance a little bit. There's just a lot of aspects that we can touch on. But yes, sometimes there are those customers that come in that have the older vehicles. They just want to fix a vehicle versus buying a new vehicle. And we can help solve that need as well. That wasn't how I started. I started primarily in the need fulfillment of upgrades. But as customers came to me and I realized that there was a need for people to purchase products to fix the older vehicles, because a lot of the vehicles that we service are older at times. Sometimes they won't buy something brand new off the lot. They'll buy something used and they'll try and upgrade, restore it, or make it a little bit different and nicer. And so we come in well to fill all those needs. And as times have changed, I continually try and change what we offer and what we do so that we stay with times. Okay. Maybe you could tell us a case study or a story about a typical customer or a customer you remember. And what are they, what sort of happens when they walk in the store? What are the, how do they verbalize things and how does you and your staff go about helping them out? So I have one really good case in point, actually. A okay. manager that works with me, he's now one of our main managers that manages all my locations, just reports back to me for the overall of the business. But he didn't start like that. Back in 1999, when I first started the business, he was one of the first customers that I sold rims to. 
he came in, he was interested in buying some wheels for his vehicle. I said, hey, I just want to upgrade it, make it a little bit nicer. It was a 1988 Honda Civic back then. I said, hey, no problem. We can help you with that. We just got a delivery. He bought some wheels and it was great. He, since he was my first customer, I want to make sure that we took care of him. Not my first customer for anything, but my first customer for wheels, which is a larger sale for me back then. We definitely kept up, made some friendship, came to find out he ended up having a heart attack within a few weeks of that. Uh, so we went to visit him in the hospital, myself and the other two gentlemen that were helping me at the time, just starting out grassroots as a business here. We, we felt like some kind of kinship to him, even though we didn't know him well. We went to meet him in the hospital. I think he took to that and we've been fast friends ever since. But through the years, uh, as he's gotten older, gone to different, because he wasn't always working for me. He worked for other people, worked in corporate America for a while. His needs changed as he got a little bit older. He got a different type of vehicle. He got different types of vehicles. And every time he got a different type of vehicle, he'd come back to me for other upgrades. Even when he wasn't working, we were just friends. He would still patronize my business. And I realized that that wasn't just the schema with him. That was a schema with all of my customers. Uh, the ones that started early, they grew through because they appreciated the individual touch versus some of the big box places out there that do what I do, that there's no real phone support, no real customer service, no real place to go. They craved a place that they could physically go. They could spend time with their vehicles. They could talk shop on cars. They could just discuss things that they enjoyed doing with the hobby. And at the same time, spend a little bit of money here and there when they had the money to upgrade their vehicles. Nice. I like the way you played that initial story with a typical customer. Now, you've got a lots of competition ranging from buying something on Amazon to going to a big box store, et cetera. So tell us, tell our audience, how you are different and stand out and put your customers in the dust? First of all, it's mindset. I stopped looking at other competitors as competitors a long time ago. I think the biggest problem that we all face as we're business owners are when we sit and think about people as competitors, we're continually knocking ourselves down because we're saying, hey, we have to compete on some level or we have to be better than somebody else. I try and look at myself as someone that offers a service, offers a business, offers a model of something that is needed by someone, whether they're going to buy it from another place, whether they're going to buy it from me is all going to be based on number one, how well I'm going to take care of them as a customer. I can't always offer the best price on a product because there is a lot of competition. Sometimes I'll have a lot of customers that will just buy from me just because they know me. They know that I'm a stand-up person, that I'm going to take care of them, that I'm going to continually be there if there's an issue or there's a problem. And then I'm not going to go anywhere. And that's big in today's world as it is. The other thing is, as time's gone by, I have found different ways to differentiate ourselves. As a company, back in 2006, we were some of the first people to start off for financing, offering financing. Now there's a lot of people offering financing. They call it BNPL, buy now, pay later options. Um, we were the first in the automotive business. We were the first and the largest and still are today, the largest automotive menu vendor product-wise that offers BNPL options. We don't just offer one or two, we offer 11 to 12 options. We'll be introducing some new ones here later this year that we're working on already. I never continue to stop looking for options to make it easier for customers because at the end of the day, they are your life wallet. So to offer them options on how they can pay and how they can take their time to, to be able to afford the things that they really want, because that really is the key to success in my opinion. If you're not able to not only offer a service, offer yourself, but at the end of the day, understand where people are coming from, understand their situation, and then try and find solutions to still being able to get them into what they want, but with a realistic understanding of how they can do it and being fair with it. Excellent. Thank you very much. Let's talk about your journey as an entrepreneur business owner. 
What's your story? Give us some milestones, maybe some things that went right, maybe some things that didn't go so right and what you learned along the way. Okay, yeah. I started simply enough. I worked for my parents for years in their bookstore. They moved to this country from London a long time ago. When they moved, they weren't even legal. They moved from Canada. They came to Canada and then came over the border, which is back in the early 80s. I didn't discover this until a few years ago, but it was good for me to learn because at the end of the day, I realized that they really did live the American dream. They wanted to come to America. They wanted to find a way to succeed. They bought a little movie store, Indian movie store. And in that Indian movie store, they started transitioning to books, to newspapers, all kinds of things. Since I was the year age of five, I worked with them continuously. I remember even when I was up till 10, 11, going to school, coming back, working with them all day long until nine, 10 o'clock at night. I'd do my homework and everything at the store. I'd go to bed and I'd wake back up and we'd do it all over again every day. And they worked, my parents back then, they worked Monday through Sunday. There was no closing day. When the time came, they were, they were kind enough to see that I was becoming some kind of misguided youth at some point, as we all do it sometimes. And they said, hey, maybe you could do something else in the business. So they set me up with a baseball card and comic book store within their business because they were already selling baseball cards and comics. And they saw that I love that kind of stuff. So I did that business for a while from when I was right around 13 till when I was 16, I did that business. I started that business with roughly about a five, $600 investment, turned into about a $250,000 a year business at nice, that age, yeah. which was pretty good. Yeah. I had, we started a subscription box program back in the day before any, but any comic book shop was really doing that. We did subscriptions for comic books where we had boxes created. I would do pack opening nights for baseball cards and comic books. Um, when they came in, people would come in, they'd open the packs right in front of me. And we had a Friday night thing where we'd stay later and do that. And everybody would get really excited. We played games like Dungeons and Dragons, card games that were really popular back then. We do those things right there in the store. It, same thing, it fostered a kinship to our customers back then that was not there. And I was involved at all times. So people, I, I met a lot of people that were a lot older than me. And I learned how to deal with people that had older mentality. So I was able to get a little bit more maturity at my early age, I suppose you could say. And then coming right out of, I stopped that business. I went to India for a while. When I came back, we sold off that business because it was just a little bit too much for me. And I needed to concentrate on my rest of my high school years and things like that. And then when I started right at the end of high school, I started the automotive business. I primarily started the automotive business because I bought some products trying to hook up my first car, do some accessories and things like that to it. And the gentleman that I bought some parts from sold me something that was defective. And I went to him and I said, hey, you've sold me a part that the paint shop has shown me is defective. And I said, I understand you didn't make the part. Somebody else did. I get it. My parents own a business, so I understand everything. But at the end of the day, at the very least you could do is reach out to them and see if you could do something to, as a replacement or something for me. And I saw that he was not willing to do anything for me. He didn't want an email. He didn't want to care. He pretty much said, hey, this is what it is. You buy these parts, they are what they are. And I realized that there was a lack in the entire automotive industry at that point of people needing someone that was willing to provide better support. Because at the end of the day, I understand even as a business owner today, sometimes you're going to get products that are going to be faulty and defective. And sometimes there is nothing I can do about it. But if I can at least tell my customer, hey, I'll try or I'll do something or show some empathy in some way or, hey, I'll give you a deal on something next time around or something that at least shows that you care about the customer. And that's really what it is at the end of the day. The dollar is just the dollar, but the relationships that you create are the most important in my perspective. I created my business on that foundation saying, hey, let's, let me create something that people would really want to buy from. And I didn't start with a retail location per se. I physically started using my business's parents, my parents' business license to buy things from magazines from people in California that use, let me use my, their business license to buy wholesale products. 
I bought a few. I would take them in my car to car meets and I would sell them on the back of my trunk. And I saw that there was more and more interest there. My parents lent me my first $700 for my first larger inventory order. I ordered that stuff. I had two guys in the car club that were interested in helping me. We took the back of my parents' bookstore, which was here in, in Florida. We have a lot of Publix, which is a grocery store. Part of their store used to be a Publix. They had taken a, a portion of that in a little strip mall. And we took the back part of their store and we converted it into auto park store. So there was books up front, magazines and newspapers. And in the back of the store, physically in the back of the plaza, was people would drive up and there was a roll-up door and we'd serve them. We pulled some glass cases out of another store that my parents owned that they were getting rid of. They donated that to me. One of my one of the guys that worked there, his father worked at a hotel. There was linoleum on the floor. I remember staying up, chipping the linoleum up. And we got this carpet donated from when they were pulling this carpet out of a Holiday Inn. We, we laid this carpet down. I learned all that stuff my first time around. Building walls. I'd never know how to build walls. They taught me how to build walls. So we built walls. We did everything. We set up displays. And it was a really good learning experience. I had some experience, but never in the construction field. I learned that. It was a great feather in my hat in that time period. And we worked together for the first year. They both went off to do their things, the gentlemen that were helping me. But it was a good growing and learning experience for sure. As far as taking wrong moves, there was times that I ordered more inventory than I needed. I put my, my parents into some peril because they had to back me up, which they were nice enough to do. I had parents that were willing to come to my rescue a few times here and there. Hey, you need a few thousand to pay these bills while you get back. They were able to lend that to me. I was definitely blessed in that way. And I know that not a lot of business owners don't have that foundation. So I had those blessings. But uh, yeah, as things happened, I, I slowly but surely learned the tricks of the trade, how to buy things at a proper value, how to sell things, which I already knew, how to create more relationships and things like that along the way. So. That's where I came from. When did you actually come up with the name Speed Zone Performance and open your first retail store? Speed Zone was our name from the very get-go. Oh, I did not come up with the name. <laughs> yeah. I did not come up with the name. Speed Zone was all it was back then. It was one of the guys that worked with me back then. And when he left, I paid him some money to retain the name. So I said, hey, it's only fair. You came to the name. I'll, I'll pay you some money since you're, you're not going to be part of the venture anymore. They didn't put any money in, but I felt that was at least fair. And then it was probably within our first, after our first year and a half, which we had a lot of milestones our first year, we had, uh, we went, I went to my first large car show in Georgia, took home some major prizes on my car, which was my first car we were just building. We had this whole thing called the Super Street Tour. We went to Jacksonville and a bunch of other places with the Fast and the Furious. It was just coming out. So we went with all the guys that did the Fast and the Furious movie. We drove with them like in, like in a line all the way down to Georgia. Went to Atlanta Motor Speedway. We did this giant car show. It was great. I met people that were willing to like sponsor me. Didn't know me from anything. Just said, hey, we'll give you some lights to put on the car. We'll do this. We'll do that for you. We'll park you in a booth. All these things. I was just blessed somehow with all these different opportunities. I did sell a lot of product for them, but they took some chances on me too. So I do realize that. And then after the first year and a half, the we were doing installs out in the parking lot, like putting things on cars and things like that. And the city came and said, hey, you can't do that. So we said, okay, we also need a larger location because we're outgrowing this little 500 square foot place that I have here. I was lucky enough to negotiate a contract in the same plaza my parents were in, a few doors down. I negotiated a contract there and I built a business there. So I was there for about three years, slowly but surely building it up. We were still doing some installs in the back. They caught on again. The city came and told us, hey, you can't be doing this. So I said, okay, let's find an actual auto parts store where we can actually do auto parts stuff. And then I found something close to my house that was doing, that was just building up. And same thing, they weren't built. I had to close that location because they weren't letting us do anything. The city was just being very difficult. So we closed that location, housed the inventory for about three months while the other location was being built. Same thing happened. 
while that location was being built, even though I was paying rent, I went in there. There were there were people. There was a team building drywall and doing all kinds of stuff. I said, "Hey, I need to get this done asap. I need to move in." So I went in there, and for three weeks straight, I would just help them every day to whether it was to recoat floors or to build the walls or just to sweep or do whatever I could do to get it in and out. I didn't get paid for it, but I understood that it was the livelihood of my business. I didn't want too much time to pass between when I moved from one location to the next, since I already had a following. So yeah, moved into that location and just started growing from there a little bit of time, built a good customer base, realized the key to selling to customers in my line was to listening to people and finding out what they wanted. And a lot of customers, my customers at the time really wanted to have products in stock. They're like, Hey, I don't want to wait for something. I said, okay. So I listened to what they wanted and I said, let me stock those products. And so first it was one product and then two and then three. And sometimes I'd bring three and five. And then to the point where I learned how to start doing my own mechanic work, because uh, I had other people doing it at the time, I started learning how to do it myself because, you know, I realized that the ground up foundation of the business was if I could sweep the floors, if I can clean the toilets, if I can run the cash register, at the end of the day, I should be able to work on a car so that I can tell a customer, this is exactly how this part works on the car. And so I did. I started working on cars. I would do the wiring for engine swaps and things like that. There was a time we were bringing in 15 to 20 engines at a time, just a whole line of engines and putting them in cars from Japan. They were imported. We'd buy them from the importers and we'd put them in vehicles. And I was doing that. And I didn't know that. I just, I learned it from watching things online and listening to people and reading forums and all that, just as I could, picked up what I could. So tell us a little bit about how you went about identifying potential employees, how you hire, what your hiring process looks like, how you, how you develop people, how you created your management team. Mine is not the typical style in any way. From the very first get, I've never treated anyone like an employee. I've always treated them like someone that I work with. And that's the first bet. I think that I learned from my parents. They always treated everyone that they worked with as friends. And that's really what it was. All the people that came in and ended up working for me were people that I'd be doing work and they'd come in and watch me and they'd lend assistance. It's kind of like that old Huckleberry Finn thing. And uh, Tom Sawyer, thing. we would be working together and they wouldn't be getting paid. They'd just be doing stuff side by side. And I'd walk in the next morning and be like, hey, that guy was really helpful yesterday. And you know, I think he's a nice person. And I'd be like, hey, come on in. You want to come help me out? I'll give you a few bucks. And slowly but surely it turned into, okay, come. We'll start doing this every day. If you like doing this, let me pay you. And you come in every day. And that's how I built my, my my first employees. Even from the gentleman that I said about the wheels, that's my manager. It was the same way. He came in and he did management from back then without being paid. He would come in, he would watch the store. When I had to go to college, in the evenings, I went to college, to UCF, doing my marketing and my my, my business degree. And while I was doing that, they, he was watching the shop without being paid, just as a friend. And I think early on, I learned that people will only be as loyal and work with you as much as you are to them. And so I took that as a philosophy and I've run with it ever since. I've never stopped doing that. As people come in now, even now to my company, three locations, so much going on, we're a multi-million dollar company. And even till today, I still run it like it is a little mom and pop shop because at the end of the day, that's really what I want it to be. I have a saying with my with my wife and my, my upper management team that, hey, if, if it ever gets to the point where it's really corporate, or you feel that it's corporate in any way, let me know because I'll sell it. I don't want to do anything with it. My, my goal is to have fun. You guys have fun and we all enjoy things and we all hang out together. Too. We go out and we have team meetings. Our team meetings are more like fun. We'll go out and have a dinner. We do Speed Zone Day Out. It's Speed Zone Day Out. It started seven years ago, eight years ago. One time a year, I take them all out. Now it's graduated to cruises. Last year, I took them all on a cruise. So three days, we shut down all the stores. Everybody went on a cruise. It was a great getaway time. We had some company meetings during the time. 
but primarily it was fun. We all sat together. We had every meal together. Every activity that we did, we all did together. It was really good team building. And that's what it is. I think personalities, some personalities don't get along in the company because that's always going to happen. You're going to have people that don't necessarily get along with each other. But my thing is to work with those people to find common ground and have them understand that at the end of the day, they work with a team that supports them. And so they should support those people as well. Because at the end of the day, that's what it is. So that's the happiness that binds us all. Very nice. So what do you think is holding you back now? What's in your way? What's your next challenge? So the challenges are the challenges we create for ourselves, Bill. So I think the only challenge that I foresee no, right now is as a business owner and entrepreneur is really time management for myself. I'm trying to still, and you'd figure, hey, you've been doing this for 25 years. You should have figured out how to time manage by now. I'm not saying that I'm the worst. I'm better than most probably at time management. But I also foresee that some people get static in what they do. And they see that they're doing okay, so they're doing okay. And they don't want to do anything else. Case in point, I started another business on the side selling diecast, little, little cars, hot wheels, things like that. So I started that business on the side last year. I started collecting for my son three years ago. Um, and people would come to my office and they'd see all these diecast cars along the walls. And they'd be like, oh, wow, we love these Hot Wheels and we love this stuff. And they were just really interested. And I said, hey, this is really cool. People have a following. It's like a kind of a cult following this stuff. I would start buying and selling some things here and there. It was just a minor little thing for me. And then I went to Japan this year in January for a convention. And while I was there, a lot of people were really interested in the diecast thing. And I said, hey, let me go to some hobby shops. Let's start buying some things. And I'd start showing people on my social media, my personal social media, hey, look at this diecast. And all of a sudden I started getting flooded with requests. People like, oh, can you find this? Can you find this? Can you? So I paid off my entire Japan trip by just buying and selling diecast, going to different hobby shops. I was planning to go to landmarks, but instead I spent most of my days going to hobby shops, talking with owners, talking with them about the business, talking with them about the fact that the a lot of the brands that are important in Asia are not important here in the US, but there's a big want and demand for those. And I said, hey, I can fulfill that demand. I can find fulfill that one. I can order those products and bring them in. And from that point, which is January, now I've scaled that business up to doing roughly about $10,000 a month. It's in, in its infancy. I, built, I took my office and I stripped my office completely, turned it into a little boutique, which I call the collector's room. All my retail stores now offer a really good selection of diecasts. My website now offers diecasts. It's a really good tie-in with what we do. I find meet a lot of people from all over the world. I get people that come from Australia. Like I got a guy coming from from Jamaica next week that specifically messaged me in advance and hey, I'm coming from Jamaica for three days only, but I want to come one day just to see your store. So he's going to come and see us just to buy diecast. And I meet all kinds of people doing those things. But to your point, as far as challenge goes, I found it difficult to be able to run that business and my auto business at the same time because I get so involved. I want to give both my best. That's very difficult. So right now, the time management in is finding a good balance at how I can manage our brand of individual products that we've created, my business as far as my three retail locations and the guys to keep them happy and make sure that everybody is taken care of and they're growing on a certain level as well. Because I don't want my guys to stagnate either because that's the biggest, you asked earlier about how do you bring people in? The easiest way to lose, if you call it an employee, I call it a coworker. The easiest way to lose a coworker is to not pay attention to their needs. Because we all have some kind of internal clock, if you think about it. We're all going towards something. The biggest problem that I find in most managers or most business owners is that they're looking at their clock. They're not looking at others' clocks. They're not looking at, I've got the youngest member of my team, but he's also a manager, and he's looking to do a house. He wants to get into a house at some point. Right now, the market will not allow him to get into a house. 
So my goal to him was, I said, hey, by next year, I want to get you in a house. If that means I have to invest my money into buying a house for you and slowly but surely you paying me back for it or something like that, we can work that out. But I want him to achieve his goals because if he sit, sees that he's sitting at a stagnation point, no matter how well you treat someone, they're going to, at the end of the day, start looking in other places. If they feel that there's more money, more opportunity, there may not be. I've proven to my guys time and time again. At the end of the day, you can look at many other places to go, many other opportunity points, but work-life balance, you'll never find better than what I have to offer as far as the business goes, because I understand where you're coming from, and I know that you understand where I'm from. How can our listeners get a hold of you? How do they contact you? We have a bunch of different sources. I'd say the website's great, because there's a contact us page on our website, so speedzone-web.com. They can always call our business lines, 407-846-8430. We've got our direct text number, something that most companies don't have. So 407-749-6314, which goes to a team. But actually, at the end of the day, I answer personally. If it doesn't get answered for some reason, they get too busy with their work. I physically take time to answer those almost every other day to go in and make sure that customers are taken care of. And we have a link tree. We have LinkedIn. We have multiple forms of social media from TikTok to YouTube to Instagram. Snapchat, everything you think of, we have. Oh, excellent. So what's the one question that you were thinking, Bill should be asking me this question. And so tell us that question and give us the answer. One that would give huge value to our listening audience. I don't want to tell you how to do your job, Bill, because you're doing a great job of it. But if I were in your position, I would probably ask a question like, where do you see the future of your business? And what challenges do you see with the technology that's coming forward? Because that is a big thing that we discuss on a daily basis. So I think that every owner, not whether they own an ice cream shop or they own a, a haircut place, at the end of the day, everyone should be interested in some facet of where technology is taking us and what we're going to do to grow as businesses to not face challenges, but I'd say grow with the challenges and meet them and then find solutions to grow our businesses. Case in point, ChatGPT. Uh, probably a lot of your listeners are familiar with ChatGPT. I had an SEO meeting with my team, my, my website team, roughly about two months ago, three months ago. And I said, hey, are you guys familiar with ChatGPT? And they said, hey, we're familiar with the concept. We don't know really how you would use it. I said, well, there's a lot of ways you guys could use this stuff. I said, the copy that you write for each individual product, you guys write blog posts for us. You do this, you do that. I write my own blog posts sometimes. I like writing. There's a, there's a probably a lot of people that you work with, or even on our end, that I may not have time. Chat GPT can easily write a blog post for you in not even an eighth of the time that it would take for you to spend time doing this. Or copy for products. If you have to write copy for our catalogs, 800,000 products. You have, if you have to write copy for even 5% of those, that's a very time-consuming thing to do. And so I explained to them how it works, and I said, this is what you really should be doing. And I, and as I was listening, I was self-reflecting and said, hey, I should be using these things as well. So we do now. We use ChatGPT to, to look into current trends. I ask them if I'm going to be creating a new product for my, my personal business line or, or, or product line in the automotive branch. If I think, hey, what product would I want to create? I sometimes will ask the pertinent questions to the prompt to say, hey, what could I scale with properly? What could I use? How could I use this platform? to go further with the products that I'm looking to create. What products are popular? How would you implement? I know I'm talking to an AI, but how would you implement this? If you were me, how would you implement these strategies? And some of them, you'd be surprised. Some of the things that you get back are really good pieces of information, things that you can implement into your own ideas to create some really good strategies moving forward. So. 
Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I, I use a tool called Notion. And in Notion, now they have a, a, a lot of people do, but they've got a connection to chat GDP. And I used it today to write a little article, well, not an article, a lesson for an online course I was doing. I, said, I don't really know much about that. I'll use it for that at work. That was a great. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. That was an excellent question and answer. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> you never know, Bill, right? You never know. No, you've been fantastic with your time and your wisdom and your energy. I appreciate it very much. So everybody, in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our businesses do not become preeminent all by themselves. Instead, you get there by using a proven combination of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having a long-term vision and strategy of executing it with a system of management and number three, leveraging high performance teams. So you can get your hands on how to do those three things. Just go to getbillsgift.com. That's getbillsgift.com. Dot com. Thanks for listening to our show. Vishal, thanks very much for sharing your time again. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. I appreciate it.